Welcome to the True Crime Squad. As you can see, we are preparing to stream live a, uh, a hearing, uh, the State versus Vallo Motions hearing this morning. So uh, we do think Lori is going to be in court this morning, and we know that Chad is not because he vacated this hearing. Uh, this, this Lori's shot at same way they don't want cameras in the courtroom. And right now what they have is cameras in the courtroom. So <laughs> <laughs> seems a little uh, off kilter, but okay. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> that they're streaming this live knowing that they're asking to not be streaming anything live. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I It'll hope that judge Boyce, uh, I hope Judge Boyce sees the, you know, the value of, and also the the uh, call from the public to allow these proceedings to continue to be streamed. Yeah. Uh, if they don't, we will have to start going to St. Anthony for these hearings so that we can come back and report, and we will. Yeah. You know, we're one of the few, you know, covering this case that have the luxury of just making a short drive up there to do it right so we will do that if we have to but i hope we don't i yeah. like this setting a whole lot better but i do too and i i think it's such a disservice to our community if they won't mm -hmm. allow it to be streamed people have the right to know this is a huge case there's a massive public interest we have that right yeah yeah for sure and there's huge um, pressure from the media, mm -hmm. uh, local and national, to keep this all open and in the public. Mm -hmm. So, I kind of suspect that what Judge Boyce will do is just be a little more discerning about camera placement. And that's all, mm -hmm. you know. From uh, the prosecution, they're like, well, we think it's okay if there's just a camera in the back of the room. But with no with no uh, with no sound, right. well, no, that no, doesn't service the public at all. There's no point in that at all. No. But yeah, they can certainly stipulate where they're going to put cameras and you know how that's going to go. And if they and don't want a camera streamed directly on Lori's face, I get that. I really do. I, I do too. I wasn't a fan of it either. Mm -mm. But. Uh, that doesn't mean that the public should just be completely aced out of these proceedings at all. Right. Especially because um, that was court TV. That wasn't even a local news outlet mm -hmm. that did that. And I, that's crap, you know, mm -hmm. that it should be a local news outlet that streams it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But even court TV had permission from the judge. He approved their camera placements. Right. It's That's not true. like they actually broke the, the rules. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, I agree. And, and court TV, I think, is pretty, uh, you know, they're they're pretty inflammatory. They're definitely looking to inflame. Yeah. So, you know, kind of boo on them. But, you know, we, we do need them. We, we're, we need the press to be able to be available. So. Yeah, we do. 
do we do? It I'm is interesting. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just impressed that their stream is already live. Usually. Yeah. This is Judge Boyce. Mm -hmm. I had two YouTube notifications <sighs> yesterday that they were doing test uh, streams. Yes, I saw that too. It's true, Linda. The judge seals everything in this case, so who knows? Right. And that that's a part of the problem. And, and I guess that's part of what uh, feels problematic to me is that already I feel like the privacy laws uh, versus the uh, public, you know, public's right to know laws or rules here have been bent and pushed already yeah. with all of the ceilings. And then to uh, try to shut the press out, you know, more fully, that, that to me is just a really big problem. Yeah. yeah. Me as well. Hey, Janet. So we will see. It's nice to have you all in the chat. So, Bama Cat wants to know if we're covering Letitia Stosh, 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 was hearing later today. I have to tell you guys, we have really dropped the ball on Letitia. We have not really covered that case at all. And I know it's a big one and really has deserved our energy and attention. And we just have not made it. So, mm. we're not. At some point, we need to get our stuff together on that case. But we just have... I guess just had our focus elsewhere. It's not like we haven't been working our tails off, but I don't know why I can't get my head around that one. I yeah, I don't either. But we'll so we'll take a look. Answer, maybe we'll cover that next week and yeah, catch up. Get a little more into it. Yeah. So answer no, but we should. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We we can catch up on it next week. Yeah, Paula. Paula, if they don't stream it, they will need to move the trial to Bronco Stadium in Boise to have enough room for everyone who wants to attend. Right. See, you know, open to the public, but limited space. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing is that the courtroom where it's scheduled to be, the trial is scheduled to be, is small. And so, you know, the public doesn't have the access that they deserve to begin with mm -hmm. in this situation. I mean, they certainly haven't in these hearings in Fremont County. Mm -hmm. You guys would die to see, you know, I know you've seen video of that courthouse, but it is tiny. Yeah. Tiny little courthouse. Yeah. That's why streaming makes so much sense because then, you know, the public has the right to see what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it does depend on the state. I mean, federally, we know that there's no cameras allowed in the courtroom. Right. And with each state, it depends a little bit. There are some states that do not allow cameras, but most states do. And so I guess it comes down to what Idaho's laws are, you know, well, specifically. Is, Idaho has been allowing cameras exactly. throughout this entire disaster. Mm -hmm. And so to start shutting it down as we get closer to mm -hmm. um, the trial, I think is really not okay mm -hmm. yeah oh she said chris lambert has been covering every detail of the Kristen smart trial well and it's you know one thing i've seen others do in closed courtrooms that attend is to live tweet it mm -hmm. and we could do that you know if we have mm -hmm. to do that we can do that but i agree I, I hope we don't have to i would much rather meet in this setting mm -hmm. for lots of reasons but uh but yeah, if we have to, we will, because uh, we can, versus most of you guys that probably right. can't right. attend. 
Even the 9 a.m. is behind schedule. <laughs> yeah. It always is. I mean, these kids never start on time. Crystal Rose said that she watched the Netflix show last night. Such a sad case with those poor children. Yeah, I I haven't watched it yet. I think I will. Uh, you know, mostly, like Christy said, just for, you know, to, to see what's accurate and what isn't. What yeah, what I want us to be able to fact check it for sure. Such a nightmare. It's true, Jessica. Live tweet would not be the same. Yeah. No, it's not the same as really actually witnessing what's happening and hearing people speak. I wonder if they realize that they're streaming with sound right now. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Janet said, I haven't watched it yet. I feel so tainted by Colby. I know. I know. Feeling so grossed out by the whole crew right now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda said she'll go ahead and let us take the uh, <laughs> we'll take, take one, one for the, the team, team on that <laughs> we did it with the Lifetime movie too it's true <laughs> the thing is I mean even if the court just did this they you know do what they're doing right now and let people just pick that stream up off YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's access, you know. Everybody mm -hmm. could just stream it from their YouTube channel. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> we'll see, though, what the sound is like once... Uh... But see, I think that it's KPV. Oh, well, no, I guess not. This is Judge Boyce's stream. So this yeah, is this is Judge Boyce. KPVI had uh, filed with the court yesterday to be in the courtroom. Yeah. And there had not been a response, but I'll go see if there's been a response today. Well, and Paula, they make you turn the sound off on phones and tablets. You can have them in the courtroom, but you have to turn the sound off. And you can't film. So that's why people are getting away with live tweeting. Mm -hmm. Oh, people are filing in. We're, we may be about to get started here. All righty. Now they've muted their sound. <laughs> that's funny. This part's the most annoying part, I think. Mm -hmm. The waiting at the beginning. Like, come on, just mm -hmm. get it together. <laughs> you can see only just a tiny little corner. Let me see. Oh, it's not really any better on my YouTube uh, tab. It's not mm. much bigger. It's 
like people are just getting seated basically yeah Uh, the show tried to reflect it all onto Chad. She changed after meeting Chad, but that's not true. Yeah, that's not true at all. Uh -uh. She thought about killing her kids before Chad. Yeah, she talked about driving off a cliff. Right. Not to mention the fact that, um, you know, it's pretty likely that she and her brother killed her ex-husband. She definitely <laughs> was real screwed up before uh -huh. she met him. So KPVI was approved. Were they? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, Chad was just lighter fluid for her. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, they definitely did both suck beforehand, Amanda. There's no doubt of that. Yeah. The thing I... one The other thing to me that is the most aggravating is that we go through... All of this for a trial that may not even happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is. I wish we knew why Chad and Pryor pulled out today. I know. Me too. Yeah. Just trying to see. Oh, they're walking Lori in right now. Yep, there she is. Is this how they're going to do it? With this tiny little video in the corner? I don't know. And they're still muted. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. I was getting worried. Okay. And now who are they zooming in? I don't know. Or if this is just the, where they want the camera focused. <laughs> On the great seal of the state of Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> Once they start in earnest, we'll get off the screen and out of the way. Yeah. Well, I can all just watch and chat. All rise, it's first now set. Thank you. Please be seated. All righty, we'll get out of the way. All right, we'll go on the record on KCR 2221-1624, State versus Lori Marine. 
Donald Abrams, Donald Abrams here represented by attorneys John Thomas and Jim Archibald. State is represented by prosecutors Rob Wood, Lizzie Blake, and Rachel Smith at the council table. The court understands that on motions today, those will be argued by Mr. Wood and Mr. Archibald. Court would remind the parties in attendance here that. The court's order regarding courtroom conduct remains in effect, including the prohibition on um, authorized video and photography by any members of the gallery. So, if anyone has a cell phone that is permitted to record or video any of these proceedings today, there are several motions or matters to bring up before the court. I'll indicate on the record we previously met in chambers briefly to discuss a few of the preliminary issues. Uh, the court wishes to put those on the record. Uh, first matter we're bringing up, it wasn't formally noticed uh, for hearing today, but uh, in the interest of efficiency, I think it's worth calling on the record. So, Mr. Archibald, there was a motion filed entitled Motion for Defendant to Appear in Street Clothing. The state did file. A notice uh, in response to that, if you'd like to just present that on the record at this time, you may. Yes, may I remain seated? You may. And Mr. Archibald, for, for you and also other counsel here, in order to best get our record uh, with these microphones, it is best actually the counsel remains seated to speak into the microphone. So thank you, Mr. Archibald. Thank you. Our motion for um, Mr. Daybell to appear in street clothing is something that the court has granted previously. We appreciate the courtesies of the court and the sheriff in allowing that at previous hearings. We didn't actually have a written order, and so it was agreed upon between counsel that uh, to get this in writing and also submit a proposed order. We do appreciate the the court being sensitive to uh, our client's right to a fair trial, a fair impartial jury. Having her appear in street clothing helps with that. So, would ask that, that motion. All right, thank you, Mr. Archibald. What's the state's response on that, Mr. Wood? Thank you, Your Honor. Um, as the court is aware, we did file a response that uh, was essentially non objection uh, based on the circumstances of this case. All right, thank you, Mr. Woods. Uh, courts considered that motion. Um, typically, that's obviously right that's allowed in front of jurors in a jury trial uh, to prevent the appearance of uh, anything that run afoul of the presumption of innocence in the case. Uh, it is somewhat unusual to have an appearance in street clothes for pretrial motions of a defendant that's in custody, as Mrs. Fowler Beagle currently is. However, that's been the uh, process we've used throughout the case hasn't been brought before the court for any formal ruling on that. Generally, the issue of how someone is dressed, uh, really, for me, I defer to law enforcement and whatever they believe is appropriate for security purposes within custody defendants uh, based on the motion filed by the defense and without objection from the state. Uh, I don't see any reason to from how we've already handled all the prior hearings in this case. So in order to confirm that on the record, I will grant an order, Mr. Archibald, 
and future pretrial motions if the client so chooses. And it's permitted and allowed by uh, law enforcement authorities that are involved with her custody and transport that she can continue to appear in those street clothes if that's what she wants to do. Yes, thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Next motion we'll call up is the motion filed July 12th by the defense entitled motion to incorporate federal and state constitutional grounds to support or in support of future motions. Uh, don't believe there was any specific response to that filed by the state, but I'll allow an oral response hearing Mr. Archibald if you'd like to present arguments for that motion at this time you may. Your Honor, this motion is based upon uh, the death penalty jurisprudence of the United States. As, uh, as the court knows, uh, death penalty litigation is luminous and is ever changing. Uh, 1972, the United States Supreme Court said that death penalty was cruel and unusually punishing. So states began to modify their death penalty statutes to conform to the United States uh, Supreme Court's definition of what is not cruel and unusual. So since 1972, since the Berman versus Georgia case, uh, there every five years or so in death penalty litigation, there's there's a change of rules. The United States Supreme Court since 1972 has said uh, no death penalty for those who are insane. No death penalty if a judge issues it, it has to be a jury. No death penalty for those who are me mentally retarded. No death penalty unless there's a mitigation investigation of the defendant's life. No death penalty if the defense lawyer does not really investigate the client's life. No death penalty for juveniles. So in our motion, we set forth several federal uh, decisions that have been rendered regarding the death penalty in the United States. And uh, for purposes of future appeal, we always come to prepare for the worst. And in case she is convicted, and in case there is a death verdict, this case will be on appeal for decades. And so we are making the record clear that we want all of our constitutional arguments preserved. We want all of our uh, constitutional issues uh, litigated in the future. And Mr. Thomas will not do any future appeal, though the other lawyers uh, appointed to represent her in case uh, there's a, a guilty verdict in case there's a death sentence. So, this motion isn't just uh, what if, it's real. And in fact, the federal judge in Idaho just ordered a new uh, sentencing hearing for Roman Rowe. He's been on death row for 30 years. And so this is an important issue. It has to do with this case because we know that 30 years from now, there's going to still be litigation ongoing. There is a death sentence. So I won't be around 30 years from now. 
don't know if Mr. Thomas will, but this case will be if the state uh, gets their request. So that's why my motion uh, was filed. That's why it's important to us for the court to acknowledge all of her federal and state constitutional arguments are preserved. All right, thank you, Mr. Archibald. Mr. Willis, the state's response on the motion to incorporate federal and state constitutional grounds Thank you, Your Honor. Insofar as the motion is essentially a request that the court recognize that the defendant has not waived any of her constitutional rights, we have no objection to that. Um, in regards to the practical application of it, uh, the state does not object to it as long as uh, the objections that are made are still made pursuant to the rules that they state the purpose of the objection and cite to the uh, specific authority Courts considered this motion as the motion was filed on July 12th to incorporate federal and state constitutional grounds in support of future motions of objections. Uh, based on the argument of counsel and review of the briefing side of the case law, uh, which is substantial in terms of case law of the motion, uh, the court will. Rule as follows that um, in lieu of an order, I'm not going to order that there's some standing continuing objection. I'll, I'll make a express finding on the record that this particular defendant, Mrs. Palladino, has not at this point in the case ever waived any constitutional rights that are provided for in the Iowa Constitution or the United States Constitution, that she continues to assert all of her constitutional rights in the case. and that will be in order that you can submit Mr. Archibald in response to your motion. Uh, as Mr. Wood indicated, if there are any still specific objections to be made on constitutional grounds, I wouldn't consider that some sort of a standing order that would relieve the defense of the duty to bring those specific objections on the record. So there will still be a if you think some specific constitutional right is being infringed upon by either the state or motion of the court, then those objections would be preserved on the record. But we'll acknowledge at this point that there's been no waiver of any constitutional right in the case. Any questions on that earlier? Can I clarify that? No, Your Honor. Thank you. All right. Thanks. That will bring us up to our third motion then. This is the motion entitled the motion to clarify media courtroom. That motion was filed on August 30th, 2022 by the defense. The state filed a concurrence with the motion on September 12th, 2022, agreeing in large part with the argument brought forth by the defense in response then. Uh, Attorney Steve Wright also filed an interested person's third party media response on September 8th. And the court recognized the standing of Mr. Wright on behalf of the clients that were set forth in the caption of his pleading to be heard at this hearing today on the issue as well. Um, in terms of taking up the order of that motion that was filed by Mr. Uh, Archibald on behalf of his clients, so I'll hear arguments for that motion first. I'll then allow the state to join in their concurrence and 
subsequent to that, Mr. Wright, if you'd like to present your arguments for your clients that are identified in the meeting, that. So, Mr. Archibald, if you'd like to proceed with arguments, it's time to make. Thank you. This motion was filed due to what happened at our last hearing. Of course, um, there is no camera in front of our of our desk now staring at us, so I appreciate the, the media's courtesy not putting another camera there. I noticed that there are not any microphones attached and on this desk to where the last hearing, so yeah, I appreciate the media's courtesy not putting that. That was the issue that was happening at our last hearing. Uh, all of us here, the prosecutors, the court, uh, me and Mr. Thomas, we all had the same obligation to Lori Bell and Dave Bell, and that's to make sure that our constitutional rights are protected, including the right to a fair trial. The court, in its order governing courtroom conduct, has that as its first goal that we need to preserve clients, defendants' right to a fair trial. The court uh, was concerned about pretrial publicity last year, taking up the issue of the change of venue. So, a year, almost a year ago, uh, this case was transferred from Fremont County to Ada County, over 300 miles from here due to media exposure, due to the incessant non-stop media exposure. It is necessary, we agree, to inform the public of what's happening in the case. Uh, Fremont County, however, is going to spend more for a fair trial because of the media's incessant non-stop exposure of this case. So as the media exposure increases, so does Fremont County taxpayers, state of Idaho taxpayers, so does their obligation to make sure that my client gets a fair trial. So if the media saturation continues in Ada County, where are we going to go? Uh, we've already moved it 300 miles away but the media exposure is hitting Ada County. Uh, so I've been a uh, lawyer well, over 30 years. I've never had a problem with the media uh, during any of my cases. I've never had to bring a motion regarding media uh, about where they put their cameras or where they put their microphones. I've tried almost 103 trials in our in our district um, have been assigned at over 25 homicide cases. And the media has always been respectful. They know that I have a difficult job. I know that they have a difficult job. And we've been respectful of each other in, uh, in our roles to the public. Um, freedom of press is a constitutional right. Uh, it's in the Bill of Rights. And it's not infringed by limiting cameras. Uh, and we know that because the United States Supreme Court doesn't allow cameras. Federal courts don't allow cameras. 
Some states don't allow cameras. And so the court wants the public to know what's happening, but yet the overriding interest is a fair trial for the accused. My client in the Bill of Rights enjoys the presumption of innocence and not a presumption of guilt. The state has to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to a fair and impartial jury. So because of the pretrial publicity is that turning the tide, will my client have to prove her innocence at a trial rather than the state having to prove her guilty? So because of the, the media saturation, um, we filed this motion to, for the court to take a look at its order and, its, uh, and, and how the media is acting. I've never had a problem with the media in the jury box. I've never had a problem with the media on the front row. Again, they've been respectful of me and my clients, and I've been respectful of their job. But at our last hearing, uh, I want the court to review that, but I tried to download it on a flash drive. But the, the link is mentioned in the state liability response. So I believe we all, uh, counsel and I, agree that the court can look at that as to what happened at, at our last hearing. There was one camera on the judge, there was one camera on the courtroom, and there was one camera on Lori. Um, our hearing wasn't quite an hour long. It was a little over 55, zero minutes. And 30 minutes of that judge was zoomed in on my client. What was the purpose of zooming in on her for 30 minutes? Uh, she didn't make an argument. She, all she did was whisper to her lawyers, what's the point of zooming in on her? There is no point. It was use of the privilege that the media is given. Why did the media want to zoom in on her for 30 minutes when I think the, the lawyers and the judge talked for 50 minutes? Uh, the cameras were on the court for about 30 minutes. And that's, uh, I don't know if many judges do want the cameras on them, so that's probably all right. But why? Why wouldn't the cameras be on the attorneys for arguing rather than zooming in on my client? What was the purpose of that? Um, she'd been in custody now for over two and a half years, 20 months of that in a jail, 10 months of that in a mental hospital. What's the point to mock her, to make fun of her, to humiliate her? Does it have any value to the public other than the prejudice potential jurors against her? No, no value at all. So does it help the court find a fair and impartial jury in Boise when they zoom in on my client's every facial expression? No, it doesn't. The public will eventually hear 
uh, my client's mental health diagnosis. Uh, I know what it is. The court knows what it is. The attorneys know what it is. The public will eventually know that. And that there's a time and place for everything that will eventually be disclosed. So banning the cameras is pretty drastic remedy in this district. And uh, it's not the first time that the request has been made by an attorney in a high-profile case. For example, uh, a few cases where cameras have been banned altogether. The case against Timothy McVeigh, the bombing and City. The case against Susan Smith for the murder of her children. The case against Richard Davis for the murder of Polly Clark. Scott Peterson for the murder of his wife, Lacey. So there have been incidents in high profile cases where the courts have said enough. No more cameras. We can look at the information to the public some other way other than through the camera. So uh, I know that's addressed friendly, and that's why I asked for an alternative in my motion. Um, let's go back to the way we've done it here, uh, or at least as long as I've been trying cases for 30 years. Cameras in the jury box or on the front row of the spectator section, no humiliation, no making fun, Let's be respectful of each other at our difficult jobs that we all have here. This case is tough enough without the sensationalization <clears throat> that is the potential of the media. And we certainly don't need any more drama in this case. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Archibald. Now, Mr. Wood, if you'd like to offer the state's concurrence to this panel. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, this time we're here dealing with, uh, I guess, what could be termed tangen tangential issue of the case. I, I realize that it's important to uh, remember exactly why we're here. And we are here because Chad and Larry David have been indicted for the murders of Tyler Ryan and J.J. Bell and Tammy Daybell. We have a trial set for that in January. And as uh, Mr. Archibald stated, they are entitled to a fair trial. And as he stated, uh, even the prosecutors who have the job of uh, seeking a conviction also have the job of seeking a fair trial um, for, for the defendants and for the state. And this court has recognized the state also has a right to a fair trial. And what that means for the state is we want a trial that we only have to do once or we limit the legal issues. Uh, that's important not only to uh, prosecutors. Uh, but for the people of this state, specifically the people of Madison and Fremont County, uh, for the, the living victims of this case, and to the state people who deserve that the most are Tidy Ryan, JJ Battle, and Tammy Dava. So, what the state is not going to, you won't hear the state, or I think anyone argue today, the media or public shouldn't have access to the courts. They should. It's an important right. Uh, the state believes in open proceedings. We strongly support and believe in the media's right to access and report court proceedings, uh, and that has a long standing uh, history in case law. Uh, in regards to the last hearing, uh, 
I want to be clear the state is not alleging any malicious intent on part on part of any member of the media. At some level, that, that is irrelevant uh, to the consequences. Um, the state does agree that the coverage did appear abnormal uh, in the uh, uneven distribution of so, where the cameras were focused. We think that actually has a chilling effect on future witnesses, both for the state and the defense, to know that they will be subjected to such uh, public media scrutiny. Uh, Mr. Archibald mentioned that microphones on the council table. Uh, we think that has a chilling effect on council, so we're glad they're not here anymore. Uh, it's difficult to communicate with those microphones there, uh, and it makes it more difficult for the parties to effectively litigate if you have to worry about someone else listening in. I would just know those microphones are not needed. Um, there have been multiple broadcasts uh, of court proceedings where they just looked at the audio from the court, and, and that is always worked fine. As Mr. Archibald uh, talked about, venue has been changed to Ada County. If the change of venue here in the state presented evidence that Ada County is the largest media market in the state, I uh, still believe that's the case. Uh, and so the state, this raises the question, if we change venue, largely because of pre-trial publicity, then continue engaging in pre-trial publicity while going to the largest media market in the state, why do we change venue? Um, now, we respect the court's decision to change venue, we understand it. So I, I'm not asking that dismissively. But at some point, if the, the rationale for changing venue is pre-trial publicity, we should limit pre-trial publicity. Uh, the state is actually, at this point, even more so than the trial, concerned about the next few pre-trials, what we do in the state intends to file a 404 b motion. Uh, the defense has a bill of particulars motion. These are both going to be fact-intensive uh, motions, deal with a lot of uh, facts of the case, need, need to be litigated. And again, the media has a right to be there. They don't have a right to broadcast it or have cameras. And the state believes that a stark difference between watching a live or video of a proceeding as opposed to reading a report on it in a, in a newspaper. Uh, one area I can disagree with Mr. Archibald, I do not believe the cameras is drastic. I, uh, the Idaho Court Administrative Rule 45 makes it clear it's at the discretion of the court. Uh, when something is so easily at the discretion of the court, I don't believe it's a drastic remedy to remove video cameras. There is some law on this issue I'd like to quickly address that was not in the state's memorandum. And there's some right line rules here. I'm actually going to start with Richmond Newspapers versus Virginia. That's 448 US 555. And that case actually stands for the right that the media does have to access the courts. And I'm just bringing that case up because I want to reiterate that we do believe the media has the right to be here. Uh, Nixon versus Warner, 98, Supreme Court, 1306. I'm just going to read a quote from the Supreme Court there. It says, while the guarantee of a public trial, in the words of Mr. Justice Black, is a safeguard against any attempt to employ our courts as instruments of persecution, it confers no special benefit on the press, nor does the Sixth Amendment require that the trial or any part of it be broadcast live or on tape to the public. The requirement of a public trial is satisfied by the opportunity of members of the public and the press to attend the trial and to report what they have observed. And so what we think from that is there is no right, uh, and our, our administrative rules back this up, there is no right to a video camera or a camera in the courtroom. 
And the last case I want to address, Your Honor, is Estes versus Texas. That's 381 U.S. 532. Now, if you're going to talk about Estes, I have to acknowledge that there's been a lot of distinguishment on Estes. Uh, one is from 1965. What's interesting is that the Supreme Court in that case acknowledged that that would happen as technology changed. In that case, uh, they were about to start a trial and they had a two-day pre-trial hearing on the issue of the cameras in the courtroom. Uh, and so while this case can be distinguished in many ways, I think the central holding here is very applicable in this case. It says pre-trial can create a major problem for the defendant in a criminal case. Indeed, it may be more harmful than publicity during the trial, or it may well set the opinion as to guilt or innocence. Though the September hearings dealt with motions to prohibit television coverage and to postpone a trial, they are unquestionably relevant to the issue before us. All of this two-day affair was highly publicized and could only have impressed those present and also the community at large with the, with the notorious character of the petitioner as well as the proceeding. I think that's directly on point with what we're doing here, uh, pre-trial publicity that um, makes a fair trial for both parties more difficult. Um, now, this is not the first time I've asked the cameras not be allowed in the courtroom related to this case. Or is to, to uh, this the facts around this case. In the concealment case, in order to prevent extra publicity, I asked the magistrate court to disallow video and broadcast of the preliminary hearing. At that time, both Mr. and Mrs. Daigle's attorneys argued that the hearing should be broadcast. I would note that Mrs. Daigle and I asked different attorneys. In that case, at that time, and in that case, we were in a COVID lockdown and the court made a policy decision that broadcasting was the only way to have the courtroom open to the public due to COVID restrictions. We no longer have those restrictions. And so the state and defense are now both asking the court to limit video cameras and broadcasting. Uh, clearly, both the state and the defense believe that continuing to videotape and broadcast these proceedings creates a large risk of unduly prejudicing, prejudicing the party's rights to a fair trial. In balancing the state's and defense request and the media's objection to that request, the court does not need to do a balancing of rights analysis. The media has a right to be in the courtroom, but there is no right to video, there is no right to a camera, there's no right to broadcast. Uh, the state and defense are asking the court to limit the risk of further pretrial prejudicial publicity without harming or infringing upon anyone's rights. And we know that the media doesn't like that request. Uh, we're aware that many of the people that Ms. Blake and I represent probably don't like that request. We're aware that some of the victims in this case don't like what we're requesting. Um, and we respect that. Uh, but to us, the primary issue, I think the primary issue before the court is how do we get to a fair trial? Uh, Mr. Archibald did make a very good point of the cost of the pretrial publicity is imposed upon the, the counties of Fremont and Madison. Uh, in terms of moving the trial to Bay County, it, there's a lot of extra costs. And if we have to do it again, it's going to be even more cost. Your Honor, um, I would note, uh, pre, you know, there's, there's been a lot of issues with trial publicity in the last year. I would note that the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case very publicly stated um, that he would think long and hard again about allowing cameras in the courtroom. He expressed that normally he supported that, but when he saw what was being done, he used the word, it's, it's really quite right. And so the question before the court is, that we're asking the court to answer is, is the pretrial publicity worth the risk 
of harming both sides' right to a fair trial, recently that it's not. Is the pre-trial publicity without a second trial? We propose that it is not. I would like to put the focus on the case where it needs to be on the victims, on the defendants, and on uh, obtaining a fair trial. And so, uh, again, we, we join with the defense and ask that the video cameras be removed from court. All right. Thank you for your arguments in support of the motion, Mr. Wood. Mr. Wright, this time, uh, it's so thank you your honor for allowing me to give to you. My name is uh, Steve Wright. I represent uh, who I have identified as interested persons, primarily uh, or members of the media, and they are specifically EastIdahoNews.com LLC, Court TV Media LLC, the Associated Press, the McClatchy Company, uh, DBA, the Idaho Statesman, KSL.com, a subsidiary of Deseret Digital Media. KTVB TV, a division of King Broadcasting Company, uh, KUTV, KMYU, uh, CBS Broadcasting Inc. on behalf of CBS News and 48 Hours, Dateline, NBC News, Adams Publishing Group, DBA, the Post Register, St. Clair Broadcast Group, KBOI. KYUU, uh, Cable News Network Inc., commonly known as CNN, KIFI ABC, Idaho Falls, MIFI CBS, Idaho Falls, KXPI Fox, Idaho Falls, KPBI NBC, Pocatello, uh, KIBI ABC, Nampa, KNIN Fox, Nampa, KXMN ABC Coeur d'Alene, KLEW CBS Lewiston, KXLY ABC Spokane, KMVT CBS Twin Falls, KBOI FM Boise, KIBO AM Boise, KBLI AM Idaho Falls, KIB FM Idaho Falls, KBAR KBAR AM Jerome, KHTR Lewiston, KOZE Lewiston, KEGE FM Pocatello, KWIK AM Pocatello, KSPT AM Sandpoint, American Broadcasting Company, KDPA, ABC News. All right, thank you for the last time. In no particular order, I might add. So. Very well. Thank you, Judge. And I appreciate the court and recognize the court's discretion to grant leave for me to present argument here and to respond, uh, just as it is the court's discretion under ICAR 45 in responding to the motion of this panel, which has been joined effectively by the state. Your Honor, the first uh, thought that I had as I listened to arguments is I recognize and respect that 
the job of the attorneys for both parties is difficult. It hopefully goes without saying that the defendant has constitutional rights that must be recognized. I reject the argument, however, that those um, rights have been or will be compromised by following the orders of this court. And that is precisely what has happened. That is precisely what occurred on August 16th, the hearing specifically complained of, including the location of the cameras and the location of the microphones. Now, one party seems to uh, apply nefarious motives to the media. Um, the other seems to be more concerned about address, addressing pretrial publicity through this motion. We believe both are in error in, in the way that they are trying to accomplish it for a couple of fundamental reasons. Number one, the actions of the media on August 16th were in complete compliance, pre-approved by court personnel with the orders of this court. Uh, it is regrettable that counsel feels misled that they did not notice the microphones, but they were approved first and foremost. And the same is true with the location of the cameras. I would add, Your Honor, that multiple cameras in the courtroom are actually an important part of fulfilling what we understand to be the court's appropriate desire to balance. And make no mistake, it is important to balance um, without sacrificing constitutional rights in any capacity. Um, it is important to balance these sometimes competing interests or more accurately, competing desires. It is easy to say as important as it is that the defendant's constitutional rights are somehow jeopardized by broadcasting these proceedings. How? There is a significant difference, Your Honor, in telling this court that this courtroom should be open, but only to people who physically want to come and sit in the courtroom because if it's broadcast to other people her rights are now jeopardized the only the only rationale the only logic behind that is to suppress information and then i disagree with you mr okay i disagree with that assertion gentlemen i'd be happy to respond here okay because public access is allowed yes the sensationalism of the case is not necessarily within the bounds of what access is permitted under our criminal rules and under the constitutional right of the public to attend. And the argument made, Idaho does not have a rule that requires the court courtrooms have cameras. It's discretionary with the court. And this court makes that decision. And if I decide we won't have cameras, then people come in and watch like they have since these courts were started back before cameras even existed and televised uh, proceedings were able to occur. And at some point, if there is so much saturation that it presents a presumption of guilt, this is an argument, I think that's entirely possible to happen in that case. And I'll just tell you, I'm quite concerned about that happening here. 
you've named off 35 major media organizations, which tells me that there is a huge interest in putting all of the information out to as many people as possible. And we are trying to get this case to trial with a jury. And I'm just telling you my thoughts on this. I'm very concerned that this goes beyond access. This goes to creating a financial enterprise that revolves around this case. And that's not my primary objective. My objective is to ensure that there's a fair trial for these defendants. And so uh, you can continue with your argument, but I will tell you I, I disagree with that last comment. Well, and I appreciate that, Judge, because I I may have suggested inadvertently something that I was not attempting to do. I, I'm not in any way suggesting anything other than what ICAR 45 requires. I'm not here to argue that somehow this court has an obligation to allow this. I the rules are clear. That's not what I was trying to express, and I apologize if that's what the court interpreted. What I was trying to say, Your Honor, is that the court has balanced these competing interests. And I'm also not trying to say that somehow constitutional rights take a back seat. But there are assumptions made here that are concerning to me and that I frankly think are inaccurate. The, the issue of pretrial publicity, this court has addressed already and will continue to address. I understand that. But the reality is pretrial publicity is a result of what has what the state has charged and the circumstances on which they base that. Pretrial publicity is not going away. So what is being challenged here is the idea that by allowing or by banning cameras from the courtroom, that it, it will somehow do away with pretrial publicity. My point, Your Honor, is I don't know how that can happen. And my, the point that I was leading to was, Your Honor, which, which is a more accurate uh, description to the public, which is indisputably interesting? Well, let, let, let me ask you a question. Sure. And I have not reviewed the video, and I will do that. Certainly. And the parties, and I'm referring to the video, that's the link in a footnote in the state's response page of the last proceeding. But if this counsel argues that while arguments are being made by the attorneys, which is what's happening in the case, while that's going on, all the public is seeing is the face of the defendant, then how is that accurately portraying what's happening in the case and not just sensationalizing the case because you're ignoring what people are saying. They can listen to it, but you're not putting the camera on who's talking. You're putting the camera on the defendant. So as they've argued, and I'll confirm whether or not that's the case, the public can gauge every single reaction for while things are being said. How is that providing accurate information more than focusing on what's being said in the actual record of the case by the lawyers? And Your Honor, my purpose is not, not to bootstrap myself into arguing 
specific camera shots at specific times. My point is, and is to concede that this is within the control of the court. We, we reject that there was a nefarious motive or even action here because we just complied with what we were approved to do. Now, and I didn't, I continue to assume that, okay, that's correct. I want to make clear, I have found nothing to indicate that any of the residents have failed to comply at any time with what we were allowed to do. I guess what I'm looking at this point is the results of what the current order indicates they are allowed to do and whether that needs to be restricted. So. I do want to make very clear, your clients uh, have not at any time felt to comply with any court order. Right, and I appreciate that, Judge, and that is important. But I, I'm also not trying to address what's been called unfettered access. We're, we're trying to play within the rules. And, if, and we believe we are playing within the rules. Now, within those rules, which include the discretion of the court, Please understand, I'm not trying to argue for the contrary. Within the rules, if the court determines a different location, a different, somehow that the process needs to be altered in some way, that of course is also within the court's discretion. I do take issue with the idea that because the media has followed the rules, and because there uh, was viewing of concern, and we all know that the, the defendant's reaction to the proceedings is of public interest. Now, whether the court feels and that too much of that occurred or not, again, we just want to play within the rules. So, uh, but, but what I'm hearing is not that. What I'm hearing is, Despite the actions of the media, as approved by the court, um, being unsatisfactory, even concerning to the parties, cameras should be banned, period. And the point that I was leading to, Your Honor, is because of the pretrial publicity, which is not going away, which is more appropriate, an actual showing of the proceedings themselves under whatever rules the court determines. And I will come back to that because there are some reasons for why multiple cameras are, are better and, and fulfill the, the, the quorum of the court that this court has every right to demand and inspect. But the, um, is it better to allow the proceedings to be shown in addressing pretrial publicity, or is it better to require someone to be physically in the courtroom so that they have to report on the proceedings. There was nothing about the, the, the actions those day, that day that interrupted the decorum of the court. And it was showing, per, perhaps in a way that the court will adjust, but it was showing what was going on there, including the defendant's reaction. That's, that's my focus, Your Honor, is, is the, what we believe is an inappropriately extreme response to actions that were permitted by the court, as opposed to the court just continuing to do what it has done, and that is balance those interests that it recognizes and, and continues to address that in the way that it deems appropriate. 
Does that make sense, John? It does. I, I did not mean to suggest that this court had to do something different, but I do, I do not apologize for the importance that the role of the media plays in this. And it is, it is easy to throw out terms. I'm not suggesting whether it's done here or not, it's up to the court to determine, sensationalizing or circus or whatever in a proceeding that is just like this, except that it had uh, microphones and cameras in places that were approved before. Uh, so, uh, Your Honor, there are some technical reasons that I think it's also important that the court understand. Um, and again, I, I hope it's clear, there was no intent to mislead. We just placed them where we were told we could. Now, as far as the microphones go, I'm advised that microphones, at, and as, as uh, I believe the court knows, Court TV was the pool, providing the pool coverage that day. They have perhaps abilities and capabilities that local media, such as East Idaho News, who has also provided pool coverage, does not have. Um, the locations of microphones and cameras today was first and foremost approved by the court, but also it is the resources that each title news has. Uh, court TV had additional resources, and that includes specific and uh, precise microphones. It is important to understand, I guess, first of all, I will offer this, Judge. Court TV has the ability to provide mutable microphones. However, I also believe that argument is a little bit misleading because the, the argument is made that if somebody is arguing at the table and there's a conversation next to them, that this system, the court system, could be muted to avoid catching them. But you can't do both at the same time. You can't make an argument over the microphone council and mute the microphone if there's a conversation there. That's why the level of effort was, is put in by the media to comply with the court's order, not to find ways around it. There was that day a technical, at least one technical person, perhaps one audio, one visual, I'm not exactly sure, in real time monitoring so that if, if a whisper is heard, and frankly, if they don't know where it's coming from, all the mics get shut down. But if they, so that first, let me ask you, sure, that's right. Sure. We know officers of the court have all of their responsibilities and duties of the court when attorneys are out here. We have clients who have the right to remain silent. What is being suggested here is that a technical person who has some training, I don't know who they are, I don't know who they're employed by, I don't know who pays them, and the suggestion that we outsource the recording outside of our own court-approved system to a third party under the good faith that they won't leak anything out if they capture the wrong thing being said, like a privileged attorney-client communication, I find that a very concerning proposition and something, quite frankly, I can't imagine I would continue to permit because the issue brought up by counsel about the ability to be able to have unrecorded private conversations during the hearing is fundamental to the defense of this case, and it's also fundamental to the state in order to present their case. And so no matter how highly trained or technical 
these people are, they're not court employees, they're not court personnel, they're not subject to all the rules that a lawyer would be subject to. And if they go outside of the scope of that, this information gets leaked and blasted out to, as uh, Ms. Wong says in her affidavit, millions of people, then the bell has been rung, it can't be unrung, and we could end up with a mistrial in this case or other consequences. And so it's a huge concern to me. And I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not inclined at all to outsource the important responsibility for reporting to a third party with just an understanding that they're trained and they'll do the right thing and trust us. Well, and I appreciate the court sharing your perspective. I, I guess uh, I, I don't I don't see it that way. I and mean, perhaps I'm missing something because when the court grants what it grants, as far as cameras and microphones, I realize two different issues, but related in the courtroom, it is it is not simply reliance on in good faith. I understand the point about if that happens, uh, then it's out there. But there is a distinct party that is subject to the jurisdiction of this court to pay the consequences of such an action. It is not simply a reliance on good faith. They're submitting themselves to get that approval to the orders of this court and the ability uh, and the consequences for failure to comply. I know that there is a temptation, not necessarily by the court, but I know there is a temptation to assume the media is simply out to get whatever it can do. This is not, and, and of course, I don't speak for all media. I speak for my clients, and I in particular speak for those who have been granted or even will be granted pool coverage. These are professionals. I understand, I'm not trying to quibble with the court's point about there's still third parties, but these are professionals who's, um, who are among the best at what they do in difficult situations like this. The arrangement that was granted, as Ms. Wong states in her declaration, is not unusual. That doesn't mean this court is in any way bound by it, but it's not like this court is just turning over and hope, uh, turning over control and hoping things go well. There are professional and and very directly judicial consequences if they don't follow the law and the orders of this court just as much as anyone else here. So I, I, I do respectfully disagree that this is simply a matter of turning it over and, uh, and let and hoping things go well. And indeed, I would respectfully submit, Your Honor, both with regard to cameras and with regard to the microphone, that uh, the these microphones are are more capable of siphoning out inappropriate information. As the court knows, and I, I stand so corrected. Who, who determines what the inappropriate information do I get to make a determination on that? Does counsel get to weigh in on that? Or does someone that works for one of your clients or the set of headphones on make that decision? And I have no idea what their training is or understanding of the rules of evidence or the rules of privilege that exist amongst the attorneys and the clients. Well, respectfully, Judge, I don't think it's that difficult. Any communication at the table is confidential. Any notes on the table are confidential. I, that, that's also not true, Mr. Wright, because 
clients can talk out loud to attorneys, and if they do it in a public setting and everyone hears it, and I've seen it before in criminal cases. Sure. Defendant blurts something out to their lawyer. I hear it. State hears it. Right. They shouldn't have said it. They waived the privilege. Sure. So I would say there is a determination that needs to be made each time. And again, these are decisions that um, how am I to have faith and confidence that whoever's making that decision is making the correct legal decision? Well, and perhaps the court can help me understand. I'm a little confused by the example because if if the defendant well, I was just pointing out, you said all communications are are confidential and privileged, and they're, and they're not necessarily that's not always the case. Well, that that's fine, but that that's not the point. If my clients treat those, I mean, if, if something is blurted out and said, it's heard. It has nothing to do with whether the media had something to do with it or not. My point is that it's treated; those communications are treated as confidential. Period. Period. There isn't a determination to make. Oh, maybe we can listen in on this one and not that one. Period. They are, they are confidential. So and they are that's not that's important. a standard. Your client implies is that a written policy they have somewhere? Is that your representation after talking to them? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Judge. And it's a representation I'm happy to make after communicating with them, okay. and would be happy to make or submit a declaration or affidavit to to that effect. That um, we, I mean, as far as the cameras go, I want to make sure I'm tracking with the court's concerns because that's what I want me to address. But as far as the communications go, other than a concern that something might be overheard, that we are affirmatively telling the court will not happen, and the the training. And it's not just some training. I mean, it's better training than I could do. I mean, that, that's the purpose. The reason for being here is to ensure that we comply with the court's order. And communications at the table are treated, maybe that's the better way to say it, treated as confidential. If they blurt something out, that's beyond your or my control. But they're treated as confidential. They are not recorded. What? What the court hears when it reviews that uh, uh, the broadcast that was submitted, I believe, by the state, will it will hear what was recorded? It's the same thing. There's no editing. There's no filtering because all of the effort is placed here in the courtroom to ensure that compliance. Does that help the court? It does. And I do appreciate the way you answered and the responses to my questions, Mr. Wright. I'm not trying to go out of here. I'm just have some very real concerns, and I do appreciate the way you responded. Of, of course, because if the court has concerns, I want to address them. I, I, I totally agree. I take no offense and certainly hope I haven't argued with the court at all. I, my goal is truly then to, to respond to those concerns. But those concerns are based on what we think is. It's an overbroad approach to shut down pretrial publicity and, and frankly, to accuse the media of some wrongdoing that, that it simply didn't do. If the court, we have no objection to the court reviewing it, it's, it's open to the public. The court should, of course, be able to review that information. That's the very purpose. And if the court sees, I A concern. I have a concern. 
or even that the camera was located where it was. Again, the point is it's within the court's control. We just ask that the court continue to exercise the control that it has. The arguments, at least in part, seem to assume this court is in total control and these things are just kind of happening or more importantly, might happen. And that's simply not true. This court, the media will follow what this court directs, of course. If I may just look, uh, see if I have any other comments. Well, I, I'm not sure if I addressed this, Your Honor, more of a technical aspect. Uh, with regard to multiple cameras, again, the goal is to avoid distraction. So the reason for multiple cameras, whether it be two or three, we, we respectfully submit two or three, especially as they are used, it does not create a distraction. The reason for that is, our goal is not to move that. And so if the camera is showing something and say a confidential communication occurs, I've addressed already how the microphone it, it is shut down. And, and again, what happens, what's recorded is what's broadcast. So if the court would know that there's a problem there, but that allows us the ability to immediately go to another camera, taken off whatever might be a confidential communication or whatever the court determines is inappropriate. And so there is actually where possible a, a need for multiple cameras because we don't, I'm sure the court doesn't want to see distracting cameras panning or moving around. And yet we need to be able to get off whatever it is that might turn out might be an inappropriate thing to show. So I hope from a technical standpoint that provides the court some guidance as well. And given, recognizing the court's concern about third parties' involvement, I want to point out that if, if the court's sound system is used, um, if anybody says anything it, into the microphone, it's picked up for better or worse. We actually have the ability to control and make sure that doesn't happen. It also, and I'm, I don't know about the quality here, don't mean to impugn it at all, but the um, the quality of, of the audio is important. FCC standards require a certain level of quality for closed caption, things of that nature. And again, these things can all help facilitate what we believe is the court's correct balancing of these interests. When I say balanced, please don't misunderstand that I'm trying to say somehow the defendant's rights need to be sacrificed. What I'm saying is they can be balanced without sacrificing those rights. And I don't, I respectfully submit that going to the other extreme of banning cameras from the courtroom, um, whatever the court might do or was requested with regard to microphones actually interferes with that rather than helps ensure the decorum the court demands it, it is in fact respected. Did I mention if uh, each court TV has the ability to provide mutable microphones, if that's uh, if that's something that the court uh, wants. 
I would suggest, Your Honor, not that this, I don't know what relevance it has to the court, but we respectfully disagree that there were that there was some unusual happenings that occurred for a high profile matter, even the camera placements and the microphones, as Ms. Long states in the declaration, who's been involved in many of these matters, was not unusual. And that isn't somehow binding on the court, but I just want uh, I want to respond to this idea that what happened on August 16th was an atypical situation. It was a typical situation for atypical circumstances, if I may put it that way. Um, I guess in conclusion, Your Honor, I just, I, I, I am concerned when this motion is used as a means to attempt to curtail pretrial publicity, when the, the United States Supreme Court has indicated that there are other means to do so. And I know the court knows this because the court has, has thoroughly considered those issues in the decisions that it's made. Um, the pretrial publicity won't stop. The accuracy of what happens in here or how it's reported may or may be hindered. What about the volume of it? Uh, of, of the interest? Of the publicity. Again, I'm not yeah, sure. In other words, if you uh, can read about hearing the newspaper versus watching it live on social media, what do you think is the volume of one versus the other? Well, I guess it's that's what concerns me, Your Honor, is when the purpose is to control the spigot in a way that says, well, we'll be able to tamp it down this way. Because if we do it this way, more people will watch. The level of interest, it, it, I mean, it is not based on the media. It is based on the circumstances. And I, I respectfully submit to the court that when the court looks at trying to well, go ahead. Of us, right? it doesn't, the media promotes certain stories. I know this. I can have a routine standard hearing in this case and have I know it goes out on tons of media outlets and it's, it's publicized everywhere and it's promoted. And two weeks ago, I have a change of plea hearing in Madison County where someone pleads guilty to a murder charge. Not one reporter or that I ever saw in the local news, I occasionally got a story on it. So sure, certainly publicity and promotion of that publicity go hand in hand. And the concern here again is we're not to trial yet. We've already had to transfer venue because of the publicity and the promotion of that publicity. And what's wrong with considering that we need to try to control that so we can get a jury pick that hasn't already made up their mind and make up make us have a mistrial for not having enough jurors that haven't already been tainted by pretrial publicity. Well, of course, and of course, the court is correct in its concerns, and I don't have any argument with that. My concern is in the way that the court's concern is addressed. Uh, simply assuming that because there is publicity, even internationally, an Ada County jury can't be found, I think is, is a reach. Other than just the general premise that the more people hear about it, the more possible it is that 
there will be people that have prejudged the case. That is, that's like taking a sledgehammer to an issue where a scalpel is appropriate. And so I, I recognize the concern. You're not quibble with it at all. My concern is with the manner in which it is dressed. And I do respectfully come back to the idea to say, well, if you want to know about this case firsthand, then you must physically come here. Otherwise, you'll rely on the reporting, which won't be as accurate by definition as the firsthand experience, which is within the control of the report. But I responded to the court's question. Yeah. So, okay. I appreciate again the court's time. Uh, we respectfully request that this motion be denied because the power always has been in this court and has been appropriately exercised. And if, if the court determines there's an adjustment on fine-tuning some of the things that it will permit, we respect that. Our concern is what we think is a vast overreaction to appropriate approved conduct of the media that will hinder what we still feel is an important function that doesn't have to be sacrificed to ensure the defendant's uh, constitutional rights. Does the court have any other questions for me? I don't, Mr. Wright. I appreciate your professional <laughs> your arguments today and responding to any questions. Thank you, John. Uh, Council, Mr. Archibald, Mr. Wood, the court uh, engaged in quite a few questions with Mr. Wright and indicated uh, some of my expressed concerns here. Uh, if you'd like, I would offer you an opportunity to respond. They will have a rebuttal argument if you like what Mr. Wright's offered here. Uh, Mr. Archibald, is there any further that? Just briefly, Your Honor, the, the media's argument that we were in compliance with court orders is, is exactly the problem because the orders weren't specific enough as to what they could do and not do. So we let them, we let them police themselves. And when we let the media police themselves, what did they do? They put microphones on our tables, put a camera right in front of us. It had not been done in any other hearings, which I have never seen. And so that's why our motion, our motion to clarify so that the court can, uh, as Mr. Wright suggested, take a scalpel to this order and say no cameras zooming in on the defendant, uh, no microphones on the table, no live TV. The court does have the discretion to modify these current court orders. These current court orders are forms. They're used in, in, in routine cases. And, and again, I've never had to ask for a modification because we in the past have been respectful of each other and they just crossed the line last year. That's why I brought the motion. All right, thank you, Mr. Archibald. Mr. Wood, would the state by Just just briefly, Your Honor. So the state compliance isn't the issue, it's just the effects of that free travel listening. Uh, at one point, Mr. Wright did say that the harm was an assumption. Well, it's not an assumption. The taxpayer in that we're paying a lot more for this trial. 
because of free trial publicity. That is not an assumption. Um, and so I, I do take issue with that. I, I, well, I won't comment on the issue with the microphones anymore. I, I think the court's comments show that it, it understands at least our concerns. Um, the, the, I guess the only thing I would add is if the court, the state still believes that the best remedy is simply to remove video cameras from the courtroom. Um, if the court uh, decides to take a, a different approach, we would request that the state and, and the defense be put on notice as to the location of the cameras before uh, any hearing takes place. All right, thank you for your comments, Mr. Wood. I just didn't have permission to be excused unless the court was going to rule from the bench. I don't intend to rule from the bench, Mr. Rice. So you be excused. Thank you. Thank you, John. That's all I've considered this issue. Uh, needs to be another advisement because it will result in a ruling regardless of uh, future effect on how these proceedings. A place and the instruction on what we will or won't allow in terms of parents and like third parties and future proceedings. Uh, I'll be considering that both in the context of pretrial motions and the trial itself. Uh, I'll carefully consider these issues that have been raised and the court will issue a decision. That concludes our hearings for this morning. And Mr. Archibald, anything further from the defense? No, you are. Thank you. Well, friends, there we have it. Um, hmm, not necessarily looking good for our team, but um, we'll see what happens. Uh, lots of uh, lots of opinions. Um, the judge is making himself pretty clear, um, but we'll see going forward. Um, we're going to end the live stream here, but I just want to say uh, thank you all for being here and participating in the live, or if you're listening after the fact, you as well. We appreciate uh, your support, and we will continue to cover as much of this case as <laughs> we're going to be allowed to, you see? <laughs> so you know it, we are True Crime, the True Crime Squad. I almost said the old name, you guys. We are the True Crime Squad. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs>